proceeding in our consideration of the moral attributes of God under the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? We have seen that God has declared himself to be truthful. As he spoke to Moses, the Lord God, he said, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. We have seen that the essential nature of God is one of benevolence, that his character is governed by pure and perfect love. We have seen that God has declared himself to be truthful, and that truthfulness is a necessary attribute of the attitude of love. As long as God remains in a state of perfect benevolence and perfect love, he must of necessity be truthful. If God should cease to be truthful, he would have to do so for some selfish reason. And if he would become selfish, then no longer would he be benevolent or perfect in love. But the Bible indicates the absolute truthfulness of God, and we are happy to have this discovery from the very being of God, and certainly this accords with all of our natural observation of the kindness of God. We have seen that the Bible affirms that God in three persons is the source of all truth, or the embodiment of truth. And our Lord Jesus, when he was upon the earth, said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, or that he came to reveal the true nature of God and the truth concerning God and man, and that man could repose in the, him as the absolute revealer of perfect truth. And then in the third place we saw that the Bible declares that all of God's works and dealings with men are said to be in truth. And we continue our reading with the 85th Psalm, verses 8 to 11. I will hear what the God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Mercy and truth, then, we are told, are met together in God's wonderful salvation. And how happy we should be that we have a source of absolute truth in all the shifting uncertainties of our lives. Again in the 89th Psalm, in verse 14, we read, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. We have studied at length the kindness and mercy of God, and now we are happy to assert that along with this mercy is the profound revelation of truth and the continuous revelation of truth. In the 96th Psalm, verses 9 to 13, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. 
Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful in all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. So no one shall be able to find any fault with the judgment of God because it will always be the assertion of truth. In the 111th Psalm and verses 1 to 4, let us read these words together. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great. Sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. And then verse 7. The works of his hands are verity or truth and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. So here the psalmist declared that all the works of God are done in truth and uprightness. And we turn to the prophecy of Isaiah, where in the 42nd chapter, verses 3 and 4, we read these words. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flag shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. This is a prophecy of the future establishment of perfect justice and righteousness on the earth, and that this judgment shall be according to truth. We read in Daniel concerning the record of the great ruler Nebuchadnezzar. Although he did not choose to submit to God and was dealt in judgment by God, nevertheless he made a great assertion of the truthfulness of the ways of God. And in Daniel 4.37 we read his confession. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. So here this pagan ruler acknowledged that all the works of God were done in truth, and that God knew how to abase all those who were, rose in haughtiness and pride, and certainly he spoke out of experience, for God truly had humbled him. In Zechariah chapter 8, Verses 16 and 17 we read, These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath. For all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. So as God insists, that truth shall characterize all our ways. The reason for this insistence is that truth characterizes all of the ways of the great God. 
And so God hates every false way and insists that all who are to have fellowship with him must turn from every false way. As we come to the New Testament in this series, we read in John chapter 8 and verse 16. Our Lord Jesus is speaking concerning his authority. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. So our Lord asserted that his judgment was according to truth, and therefore absolutely dependable. In the second chapter of Romans, verse 2, we read, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So the apostle Paul was fully persuaded by his near consciousness with God that all of the works and operations of God would be according to truth. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9 we read, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is to be shed abroad in the heart of the true Christian, and the Holy Spirit shedding forth truth is an indication of the perfect truth and embodiment of truth that the Holy Spirit sheds forth in our hearts. We come to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 where we read, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. How wonderful to be occupied with these profound beauties. So many men are occupied with base things and create an endless turmoil in their hearts and, of course, receive to themselves the condemnation of the just and holy God who will judge them according to truth. But how wonderful to think upon the things that are true and not upon the things of falseness. And just as God occupies himself and has his delight in his great and profound truth of his own personality and the truth of his dealings with every other being that he has created. And so if we will uh, turn our hearts to the truth, and find forgiveness through the grace and mercy of God, how profound and glorious will be our reconciliation to the great God of truth. So whatsoever things are true, let us turn from all falseness to live in the truth with the great God. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12 we read, Verse 11 is the doxology here. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The apostle Peter had learned by wonderful experience of the true grace of God. There was a time when Peter asserted himself in a very bold manner. 
And our blessed Lord had to show him uh, how strong Peter was. And so the Lord uh, said that he would deny him these three times. Peter, of course, asserted that he wouldn't. But surely when the hour of darkness came and our Lord uh, was crucified, Peter denied his Lord. But after he repented bitterly, he found forgiveness from the great and merciful God and became a bold preacher of the glorious truth of God. And so he asserted that the grace of God was in truth. In the book of Revelation, chapter 15 and verse 3, we read that in the future judgment upon the world, true Christians will declare that God's works are according to truth. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. So no one shall be able to find fault with the dealings of God. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this revelation that all of thy works and all of thy judgments are done in truth. And now thou hast proclaimed the day of grace, and we pray that many may avail themselves of thy kindness and thy forgiveness by turning from sin, by turning from all falsehood, and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ find forgiveness, reconciliation, and a happy life with thee in the truth, both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.